Well, I'm going to get right into this morning's message. I, I can tell you before I begin this, I'll get a little, I'm, I'm maybe a little slow at first, but I am absolutely running over. Um, I usually bring about four pages of notes with me to the pulpit. I got 11 pages this morning. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> wherever you got reserved for lunch, call them, tell them you'll be an hour late. Uh, no, seriously, I'm going to preach fast because I know you can listen fast. But um, I really believe that God's given me a rhema word for you today, and so I, I want to get right into it. I, I want to start by talking about what's going to happen tomorrow. I, some of you may not have heard, but tomorrow there's going to be a solar eclipse. Y'all, y'all have heard that, haven't you? Uh, in fact, if you haven't, you must have been under a rock somewhere because that's all that's, that, that has been talked about a whole lot. Tomorrow we're going to witness one of the strangest events in U.S. history, not because it's never happened before, because it has. In fact, this is just, it, it happens ever so often, so don't get all bent out of shape about it. However, this is the first time in recorded history that we are having a, to- a total solar eclipse over the United States of America only. Um, boy, that says something, doesn't it? And we're going to look into that for uh, a few minutes this morning. Let me give you some facts, a little, a few unusual facts. I won't be exhaustive on this. But did you know that, that this is the only planet in all of our solar system, this is the only planet where you can view a total solar eclipse. The only planet. There are other planets that actually have more moons than we do. But you cannot see a solar eclipse on any other planet. So if you want to see it, stay here. Don't, don't take off to, to another planet because you can't, you can't, you'll never be able to see a solar eclipse on any other planet except planet Earth. Now, there's a reason for that. Our sun is approximately, I'm, I'm using round figures here, but it's approximately 400 times as large as the moon, larger than the moon. So you, see what, you say, well, preacher, how in the name of sense can an object 400 times smaller than another one block it completely out? Well, let me t- explain that to you. <laughs> the sun is also 400 times farther away from earth than our moon. So even though it's 400 times larger, you got this other object, the moon 400 times closer, it has the ability to block it completely. And that's what's going to happen tomorrow. And, uh, you know, by definition, eclipse means that it's nothing. And I, I can't understand why everybody's so excited about looking at nothing. <laughs> but they are. In fact, I hope you don't have to get in the traffic tomorrow because I, I was in Atlanta Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for our uh, Elevate conference and I, I listened to the Atlanta news a little bit and they were saying that, that the mountains of North Georgia are, are going to have the biggest traffic jams they've ever had in history because all of a sudden it's dawned on some folks that if they're on top of a mountain, they're going to be able to see the eclipse better. They're going to see nothing better on top of a mountain. So... So the mountains of North Georgia are going to be crowded. Now, 
the longest period of time that the eclipse is going to be uh, seen is going to be over an area that comes right into South Carolina, pretty close to us. So if you if you're headed to Columbia tomorrow, bless you. Because again, there are millions of people, millions, millions of people. Can you believe that? Millions of people are going to come to South Carolina. Folks, this is bigger than the masters. I'm, I'm glad it's not coming directly over Augusta. I'm glad this is not the optimum place to see it. It'll be over there on that South Carolina side. So, so all of you have fun in the traffic tomorrow if, if you're going to. Um, now, having said all of that, let me remind you, if you're not already aware of it, that the sun, the moon, and the stars are actually given to us for signs. Did you know that? Scripture bears that out. Let's look at creation. I'll go all the way back to the fourth day of creation. You'll find this in the book of Genesis chapter 1. This is what God says. I'm not trying to hype you up about what somebody says. Let's see what God says. This is what God says, beginning in verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. See, let them be for signs and seasons, for days and for years, and the, let them be lights for the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divided the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. On the fourth day of creation, God made these great lights and he said they are for signs. That's part of the use. The rest of it is to rule the day and night, but they are also for signs. By the way, Jesus mentioned the sun, moon, and stars when he talked about signs of the end. Did you know that? Look at Mark 13, verses 24 to 26. Mark 13, 24 to 26. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and great glory. Jesus said, when you start seeing these signs in the heavens, you know that we're approaching the end time. How many of you believe that? We're, we're approaching the end. We are. That's what he said. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Remember him, Simon Peter? Stood up on the day of Pentecost. Look at Acts chapter 2. I'll begin reading verse 12. He mentions this. So they were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, whatever could this mean? Now, let me stop here and say what had happened here. The 120 in the upper room had just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and were speaking in other tongues. And the upper room now was not large enough to hold them. So they kicked open the door. They went down to the streets of the city. They're all over Jerusalem. And Jerusalem are fi is filled with people from everywhere, all over the known world, for the Feast of Pentecost. And they hear these people speaking in tongues. And, and actually, they, they were speaking different languages that they, they understood. And they knew that these people didn't know those languages. So the whole city was in an uproar. It was all stirred up. And they're trying to figure out what in the name of sense is going on. Others were mocking and saying, these people are full of new wine. And these are drunk. 
Simon Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and you that dwell in Jerusalem, and let it be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, remember that, last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On my men servants, on my maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Look at this. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now catch this. Go ahead, go ahead and give me praise for that. Yes. Simon Peter is preaching and, and he's saying when, when, you, when you see all this, last year, what was it? Four blood moons. Um, now we're fixing to have a total solar eclipse. Sun's going to be darkened. We've heard all, all about the, the moons and so forth. And, and I, I know some people take this to, to extreme and some people will try to hype it up and cause fear and, and desperation, all this kind of stuff. But read the rest. This is Simon Peter. He's preaching under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. He's quoting from the prophet Joel. And he said, you, you see these signs? And, and, and he ends it up, when you see these signs, <laughs> glory to God, he said, it's going to happen that whoever calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. In other words, when we see these signs, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, because revival is about to happen, and we're going to see a harvest of souls like we've never seen before. Wow. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is a good sign. Praise God. Amen. Yes, it is. Now, the question is, what should we do? What should we do tomorrow? Well, if you're going to look at the crazy thing, get you some glasses. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to spend all next Sunday praying for people that burned their eyes <laughs> trying to look at nothing. Because that's dangerous. There'll be enough rays around that thing till you, know, <laughs> you can damage your eyes. So don't do that. I was listening to call-in things. Somebody called in and said, is there any kind of glasses for my dog? What do we do with our pets? And a veterinarian answered that question. If, if any of you were wondering, he said, don't worry about your pets. They're not as stupid as people. They're not going to be looking up there. <laughs> They're just going to go on and do what they do. You know, they may glance up there if it gets a little dark. I mean, they've seen darkness before. They'll just go ahead and do whatever they do. So you, you, you're going to be okay. But the question is, what should we do? Besides get some glasses to protect our eyes, what should we do? Well, the solar eclipse, by the way, that's happening tomorrow, 21st of August, that's the first day of a 40-day period that ends with Yom Kippur. In Jewish history and in, on the Jewish calendar, uh, the day after the solar eclipse will begin the month of Elud, which on the Jewish calendar was ushered in by a season of prayer of repentance that lasted for 40 days. Now, there's a lot of numbers connected with all of this, but the number 40 just keeps jumping out at me. 
There's a lot of things related to 40 that's, that's just amazing. You know, Moses spent 40 days fasting and praying for Israel when they had sinned with the golden calf. In the Old Testament, when God decided to destroy the earth with water, he let it rain on the earth for 40 days and, and for 40 nights. Genesis 7, if you want to look it up. Moses, after he'd killed an Egyptian, fled into the land of Midian and remained there for 40 years as God prepared him for the great deliverance of the children of Israel. You can read that in Acts chapter 7. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days, Deuteronomy 9 and 18 and 25, if you want to check that out. The law required that, uh, that no one could receive more than 40 stripes for a, a punishment. Uh, only 40 lashes were allowed. That judgment was stopped at that point. You can read that uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 25. The Israelites spied out the land of, of uh, Canaan for 40 days and came back with a report to Israel. The Israelites, by the way, wound up wandering for 40 years in the desert because they did not believe the promises of God. How many of you this morning, you, you, you just say, Preacher, I do not want to miss God's best for me and have to wander for 40 days or 40 years in the wilderness. But I, I want to I have faith to go in and, and, ex, and receive what God has for me. Is that you this morning? You, you want to receive? Okay, let's not be like the Israelites. By the way, Jonah preached to Nineveh and he said in 40 days judgment is coming guess what Nineveh did Nineveh got on their face and began to repent and for 40 days they repented and cried out to God and God stayed judgment instead of judgment they had a revival 120,000 people got saved at one time you talking about revival so what should America do I want to tell you what we should do we need to repent we need to repent I think all of us would agree today that America's in crisis. Now, we, we've seen crisis like this before, but what should we do? We should, we should do like Nineveh did when they heard the preaching of, of Jonah. We should repent before God, and I'll tell you in a few minutes what we should repent of. But, uh, but, but crisis comes and crisis goes, and America is in a crisis right now. Whether you realize it or not, we, we need as a nation to repent. And I know I'm not preaching to the nation this morning, but I am preaching to a part of the body of Christ. I'm preaching to the church. And the church should lead the way in repentance as we call on God. I want to take you to the Old Testament, the book of Ezra, chapter 10, where they had a crisis similar to what we're having in America today where they really need to re needed to repent. And, um, and they didn't have a solar eclipse to call them to repentance, but we've got a solar eclipse to tell us we need to repent. And, and here's what they did. Beginning of the first verse. Now, when Ezra prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled to him of, out of Israel a great congregation of men and women and children, and people wept sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehoiah, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against the Lord, or our God. And we have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God, put away all those wives such as born of them, and according to the counsel of the Lord, of those that trembled at the commandment of the Lord thy God, and let it be done. At this particular time, it was an exciting time in, in the history of Israel. For, for 70 years, they had been in bondage 
to the Babylonians. And many of them had been ill-treated by the Babylonians during that period of history that we refer to as the Babylonian captivity. But suddenly God begins to move in their behalf. He raises up a king by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus issues a decree and he said the people of Israel can go back home if they want to. And so they got together. And in fact, Cyrus went, he brought out the treasures that he had taken from the house of God. And he gave it to that first expedition that was going back to Jerusalem. And uh, uh, they, they blessed them in many different ways. In fact, they received an offering to get the building started because they were going to re- rebuild the temple when they got back. And that offering was $325,596.80. In fact, I'd like to stop right now and ask the ushers if they would receive a dedication of the house offering of $325,000 from you folks this morning. If you'd, if you'd, wouldn't that be a good offering? Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, folks, that's a drop in a bucket for God. God can supply our needs and beyond our needs, he can bless us abundantly. I, I want you to start believing in an abundant God because he is a God of abundance. Well, they, they blessed the people. And in fact, 49,487 people went on that first expedition back to Jerusalem. And Cyrus also gave them help. He gave them 8,136 donkeys and mules, beasts of burden to help them with the building. Now, you got to realize that in that day, if you look at the equivalent of that today, that would be like Cyrus saying, here's a... Here's uh, 8,000 bulldozers and uh, 136 big uh, rigs to help you with all, all of that. This was equipment to help them to build the house of God. And they started building the house of God. And it was a wonderful time in the history of the children of Israel. However, the enemy started trying to discourage them and stop them from achieving what God wanted them to achieve. And people like Sanballat and Tobiah, if you, those of you that are familiar with the book of Ezra's, books of Ezra and Nehemiah during that period of the history when they were rebuilding the temple and also rebuilding the walls. And the Bible says in chapters 4, verses 4 and 5, the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them with the building. They even hired counselors against them to frustrate them in their purpose. Boy, you know, I... I I don't think anybody's ever hired anybody to criticize me. Usually I get enough of that without anybody having to pay for it, but, but they actually paid people to criticize them. And they, they were just trying to discourage them. Listen, folks, when you get discouraging negative words, just recognize where it's coming from. That's coming from your enemy. You, you don't have to listen to that stuff. Don't be frustrated by it. Don't be beat down by it. That's one of the tactics of the devil to discourage you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish. Now, with all of that going on, is it little wonder since God is the one that set this thing in motion, and by the way, God is able to complete what he starts. So by the time you get to the sixth chapter of the book of Ezra and the uh, 15th verse, it records that on the third day of March in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, the house of God was completed in spite of all the discouragement that was um, sent their way to stop them at their purpose. Now, things were going good. And then, all of a sudden, Ezra finds out that God's people 
Now, these are people that have been in captivity for years. Now they're free. You would think that they would just stay in their freedom and go after God. But they started sinning. They backslid. They started committing some of the same sins that brought about the Babylonian captivity to start with. And it just about destroyed Ezra. In fact, Ezra went to the house of God and just fell out on his face right before the house of God. And he's weeping and crying. And, and he's just distraught. And all of a sudden, up walks a young man. I don't know exactly how old he was, but I like to think he's a teenager. He's a young man. His name was Shechaniah, son of Jehiel. Don't you love it that God can use young people? Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. This young guy, Shechaniah, walks up and says, Brother Ezra, can I have a word with you? Ezra stops crying long enough to listen to this young teenage boy. And he said, what you, what you got on your mind, son? He said, I know we've sinned. I know we've done wrong. I know you're upset as our leader. And I understand that. But he said, Ezra, you, you act like it's over. You, you act like that. You're acting like that there is no hope. And he said, there is hope. There is hope. And as I said, well, what do you think we ought to do? And he said, I'll tell you what we ought to do. We ought to just have a time of repentance. We, we, ought, to just, we ought to just come before God and just repent of our sins. And if we'll do that, he said, you know, you, you, what you've taught us as young people about God, that if we'll repent, God will hear our prayers and that God will do something about it. And old brother Ezra got up and said, well, praise God. Instead of me just uh, sogging and, uh, and, and, and stewing here and, and being frustrated over what we've done, but I think you've got the right idea. Let's just call the whole nation together and let's have a time of repentance and see what God will do. And God heard their prayers and God gave revival. They completed the temple. They built the walls in the, under, under Nehemiah. And God blessed them and Israel went forward with the mighty power of God. Now, I want to draw a parallel and tell you this morning that that's exactly where we are in America. We have sinned before God. We've committed sins that are, that are, that are, are hideous before God. We've committed sins that are a stench in the nostrils of God. We have committed sins as a nation that could bring the judgment down on this nation from Almighty God. However, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is still in this book. And it wasn't just written for back yonder. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. That's the promise of God. And I've got a word for you this morning. If the church, the church needs to lead the way. I know it's the nation that sinned, but it's the church that's sensitive. And it's the church that needs to. God said, if my people, if we'll take the moon, I mean the solar eclipse tomorrow and set ourselves to seek God in prayer and repentance, God will save this nation. God will forgive our sins and God will heal our land. Somebody give him some praise today. Hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. <laughs> glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Well, what do we, how do we need to repent? What do we need? I'll give you three things that we need to repent of. Three things that we need to repent of. By the way, Judgment begins at the house of God. 
And God has been judging these sins in his house. I've I've just come through an extended time of prayer and fasting. And, And the Lord revealed to me the other day, I dealt with the sins of the flesh in 2016 in this house. And in 2017, I'm dealing with the sins of the spirit. I'm cleansing this house, preparing you for what's to come. God's doing that. God's doing that. Let, let, let me show you. First of all, we, we need to repent of the sins of the flesh. And, and, and they include such things as lust and adultery and perversion and, and, and murder and, and all those kind of things like that. We got a nation that sinned egregiously before God. We've killed um, about 50 million innocent babies and called it abortion. And, and, and we've got to repent over that. We've got to repent over that. We've got to ask God's forgiveness over that. We need to repent. And the church needs to lead the way. We need to see, say, God, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our ungodly living. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for yielding to the sins of the flesh and living like, like, uh, like your word doesn't mean anything and living just any way we please and doing anything that we please to do and, and satisfying the flesh and not, not regarding you. And, and you're a holy God. We need to repent of that. We also need to repent of the sins of the Spirit. A lot of people don't think much about that. But God, with, listen, folks, with God, sin is sin, period. Here, here's what we have a tendency to do in the church. We, need, we have a tendency to, to look at these sins of the flesh and say, boy, they, you, you, these, these are the big sinners right here. The big sinners are the ones that sin the flesh. And, and sometimes people will look at that and look down their nose on people that have sinned in the flesh. And they got a heart full of jealousy. They got a heart full of envy. They got a heart full of, of, of offense. They've got a heart full of, 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 of all kind of stuff. And, and, and they gossip and they, and, and they lie and, and they excuse all of that. And they say, well, you, you have to understand that my, my, I have this temper and it just kind of runs in my family. My, my daddy had a strong temper. No, no, it's sin. You, you just need to repent over it. You just need to say, God, forgive me for that and get that out of my life. Get that sin under the blood of you. He can deliver you from anger that you can't control. Amen. He can, he can deliver you from that jealousy that, that flies up in you and causes you to have envy towards people. And, and, and he can stop that mouth of yours if you lay your tongue on the altar. I think the altar will be long enough this morning. We, 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 can, we can get your tongue on it. Just, just, just repent. Just repent. That's what we need to do. We need to repent. Those sins, they're alike to God. Amen. God doesn't say these are big and these are small. No, no, no. They just sin and they separate us from God. But if we'll repent, glory to God. The blood of Jesus is strong enough this morning to wash away every sin. Every sin. Whatever your past may be, the blood of Jesus can take care of that. So we need need to repent. We need to repent. Now, I want to deal with another sin. I, 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 had finished, I had finished this message there. I finished that early last week before I left. And I, I'd already sent all my stuff to the tech team for them to do the, uh, the, the, the screens. And, and But at our Elevate conference this weekend, man, I mean, God moved in a powerful, powerful way. And last night, I'm sorry, Friday night, Jensen Franklin preached a message. You're talking about a rhema word from God. Boy, he, he, God just used him in a, 
in a powerful way. And I, 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 boy, I just bask in that at the altar on uh, Friday night. In fact, I did a lot of soul searching myself and repenting before God of my own uh, sins and shortcomings and failures and, and, and all of that stuff. Just get all that stuff out before the Lord. Praise God. And um, I, woke up, I woke up between 3 and 4 o'clock on Saturday morning, yesterday morning, the 19th. Yesterday morning was my birthday. Yesterday was my birthday. And yesterday, uh, thank you, thank you. I, I'm not pulling you for response here. I just, I, I just, I, I just want to explain. Just, just let me talk to you out of my heart for just a minute here so you'll understand where I'm coming from. When, when I woke up, sometime, I don't remember the exact time, but it was between 3 and 4 o'clock. When, when I woke up, I was just, I mean, I was just in heaven with the presence of God from the outpouring of the Spirit the night before. And, and I got to thinking about some things, and, and the Lord started speaking to me. You know, I, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but um, the enemy tormented my life for the first 35 years of my life, tormented with me because of the physical problems I had. I have testified about that. I had seven major operations by the time I was seven years old. I've had now over 14 major operations. So I've fought a battle for my health most of my life. And for the first 35 years of my life, the devil tormented me with this statement. He, he, he'd come to my mind with this, and, I, and it wound up getting in my spirit. And it, it sure caused me a lot of damage. The enemy convinced me that because of the weakness of my body and because of my health issues that I would not live to be 35 years old. And, and it, like I said, it, it, it bothered me. It tormented me. I almost didn't get married for that very reason because I was pretty well convinced that I wouldn't live past 35. In fact, the night before I got married, I walked the floor and prayed nearly all night long trying to trying to wrestle with that. I said, God, am I doing the wrong thing? I don't want to leave a young woman a widow at 35 years of age. I, I don't want to have children leave my kids fatherless at, at, a, at a young age. And I, I, I was tormented by that. But praise God, when I, when I reached my 36th birthday, I was finally able to turn around and laugh at the devil and say, ha, ha, I live past 35. Praise God, I'm still here. Well, the Holy Spirit spoke to me yesterday morning and said, not only did I give you 35 years of life, I doubled that. You've lived your three score and ten. I gave you 70 years of life. Amen. And then the Holy Spirit said, seven, 70, that's the three score and ten that the Lord says we, with all things equal, we, we probably all live to be at least 70. And he said, he said, seven is the number of rest, and you've rested long enough. You are now 71. You, he said, that one that you started today, that is a new day. That's a new beginning. It was the eighth day when Jesus was, he came back, uh, there's new life and a new, new thing. It, it, this is a new day for you, and you need to, you need to get up from here. It's, and, and it, forget about this retirement stuff. It's time for you to plunge into the eighth day with, with, a, with a refreshed spirit, with a, with a new renewed mind and a, 
and, and glory to God. So, so I just want to tell you this morning, I'm excited, praise God, in case you hadn't, in case you hadn't noticed. And the rumors of my retirement have been greatly exaggerated. I'm, I'm ready to go. God said, I'm fixing to give you a new day, a new day, a new day. So we got a new day ahead of us. But then the Holy Spirit said, add this one point to your message in the morning that you received from Jensen Franklin last night. So what I'm sharing with you, I'm not claiming it. This is what Jensen shared with us Friday night. I don't have time to re-preach his whole sermon, but I want to give you the heart of it because there's something else we need to repent of in the body of Christ not just the sins of our flesh and the sins of our spirit, but we need to repent of the sin of misjudging ourselves. I want to read to you. This was his text from Acts 13, 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, look at this line, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Do you realize that the Jews miss the benefit of the greatest apostle that ever lived, the apostle Paul? Because they judge themselves unworthy of everlasting life. Wow. The people that were willing to hear them preach, when they preached it and told them, Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. He's the Savior. He's brought you eternal life. And they said, well, we, we, we're just not worthy of that. We're not worthy of that. And because they judged themselves as unworthy, they missed the blessing of God. We need to repent as a church for allowing the enemy to tell us how unworthy we are and we we're buying into that and we're accepting a lie of the devil and because we're judging ourselves unworthy we're missing the blessing of god do you remember the children of israel i referred to it a while ago when the spies spied out the land for 40 days brought back the message Two of them said, boy, the land flows with milk and honey. Let's get up from here right now and go take it. It belongs to us. It's the promise of God. But 10 spies said, no, 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 no. There are giants in the land. We aren't able to conquer it. And the people saw themselves. That's what the Bible said. They saw themselves as grasshoppers in the sight of those giants. And they said, that's the way they're looking at us. And so that's the way they looked at themselves. What does it matter how the world looks at us? That should not determine how we look at ourselves. But that cost them, that whole generation died in the wilderness because they misjudged themselves as being worthy and God being able to give them the land. 
Now, I want to take you to the book of Revelation. Now, this is a lengthy reading I'm going to do right here, but, but I'll preach on it a few minutes after that, and then we'll pray. In Revelation chapter 5, it's a powerful passage of Scripture. I'm going to read 12 verses. This is John the Revelator speaking. He said, And I saw in the right hand of him that sits on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. This is John. I'm weeping now, he says. I wept much because there was no one found worthy to open and read the scroll or look on it. But one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and on the, and on the, of the four living creatures, and in the midst of elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. How is a slain lamb going to stand? Has to be resurrected, right? He's resurrected. This is Jesus Christ here. And there are several things representing other things. Having seven horns and, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that sent out from God to the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. We're talking about over 100 million people here. And they're crying. They're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now let me break this down for you. John said, John said, I, I was weeping because there appeared to be nobody that was worthy. And then suddenly he said, I saw the lamb. And he, and he said, well, boy, when the, when the lamb stood up. In fact, when you keep, keep reading Revelations, you'll discover that once the lamb stood up and took the book, that seals began to break and things began to open and things started happening. And, and the, uh, they started singing a new song, new song, four words. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Started off with just a few angels and then some more. And the four and twenty elders joined in. And then the host of heaven. And then they poured out the prayers of the saints that had been given through the ages. And everybody's saying, worthy is the Lamb. And it just builds and builds. And then there's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, over 100 million. Start singing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Say those four words with me. Worthy is the Lamb. Say it again. Worthy is the Lamb. One more time. Worthy is the Lamb. Let me say this to you this morning. It is not about us. It's about him. And he is worthy. He's worthy. We don't get saved because we're worthy in our own strength. We get saved because worthy is the lamb. God considered you worth the price that he paid. 
How many of you believe John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what that tells me? Regardless of what you think about yourself, regardless of what the world thinks about you, anybody else thinks about you, God, your heavenly Father, thought you individually, every one of you, he thought you were worth him sending his only begotten son. And Jesus, his only begotten son, thought you were worth giving his life on the cross of Calvary and redeeming us unto God by his blood. So we get saved not because we're worthy. We get saved because worthy is the Lamb. Praise God. Now, some of you are not receiving from God in other areas because you don't think you're worthy. Some of you don't think you're worthy to be healed. Jesus thought you were worth healing. If he hadn't, he'd have bypassed Pilate's judgment hall and just went straight on up to the cross. But he thought you were worth healing, so he went in there and took 39 stripes on his back so that you could be healed. I'm healed this morning not because I'm worthy. I'm healed because worthy is the Lamb. Glory to God. God raised me from the dead when I was seven years old because worthy is the Lamb. God let me live past 35 because worthy is the Lamb. God's given me my three score and ten because worthy is the Lamb. God started me on a brand new day and I've still got a future ahead because worthy is the Lamb. 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 Hallelujah. Glory to God. Go ahead and give him some praise. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Uh, you're going to have to sit back down. I can't stop yet. I, I got a few more minutes. I got, I, I, got to, I got to say something else that God wants me to get across to you. Some of you are sitting here this morning giving up on your kids because they've done things that you didn't think they'd ever do. They're living in a way that you didn't think they'd live. And the enemy has come to you and told you it's your fault. If you'd have been a better parent, bless God, they'd be in church this morning. And he'll tell you it's because you were too strict. If you hadn't have been so strict, your kids would have turned out better. Or he's telling you you weren't strict enough. You were too lenient. If you hadn't been so lenient, your kid, no, 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 no. Let me tell you something this morning. My kids are going to heaven. My grandkids are going to heaven. My great-grandkids are going to heaven. And the generations after me are going to heaven. And they're going to heaven because worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy of the praise of my kids. He's worthy of the praise of my grandkids. He's worthy of the praise of the next generations. And I'm going to praise him for it. Amen. You need to just make up your mind. Worthy is the lamb. Glory to God. Brother Jensen said Friday night, he said, next time you drive up in your nice car to your family reunion and some of your relatives come out and look over your nice car and say, where did that come from? You just need to say, worthy is the Lamb. It's time for us to stop apologizing over our blessings. 
Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. And I want to tell you something else. The Holy Spirit reminded me this weekend that there's some things that he showed me a long time ago that have not yet materialized. And the remodeling that we've been doing in here is not so we can have a nicer auditorium to worship in, but we're preparing this as a youth center. God's going to build the, the cathedral of praise on the hill. Amen. We're just beginning. We're just beginning. We're just beginning. Because worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. We need hundreds of young people. We need thousands of young people because the Lamb is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. We need the revival that's going on in children's church because worthy is the Lamb. And, and the time is coming, bless God, when if you don't get here early on Sunday morning, you're not going to get your seat because worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy that this house be filled again. He's worthy that this house overflow again. He's worthy that these seats be full again. And it'll be more than two services on Sunday when God moves with revival because it's coming to the house. Give God some more praise, will you? Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Why is it going to happen, preacher? Because I believe that God's people are going to take advantage of this moment to repent. And when we do, <laughs> God's not coming back for a weak church. He's coming back for a glorious church. Amen. God's not coming back for a little handful. He's coming back for a harvest. Oh, how, how are we going to get that 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands? We're going to get it in the end time harvest. That's what's going to happen. Praise God. Now, now you can stand back with me and stay, stay on your feet for a few minutes, if you will. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Every eye closed. I want you to be honest, not with me, but I want you to be honest with God. If you're standing here under the sound of my voice this morning, you'll say, Preacher, I've allowed the Holy Spirit to search my heart this morning. I know that there's some things I need to repent for. There, there's some sins that I'm involved in, sins of the flesh. I know they're not right. I'm in a relationship that I shouldn't be in. I know it's not right. I'm looking at things I shouldn't look at. I know it's not right. I'm doing things that I shouldn't do. I know it's not right. I need to repent. Or maybe you're standing here this morning. You say, preacher, I know I've got some stuff in my heart. I've got some resentment. I've got some jealousy. I've got some envy. I've got some strife. I've got some offense. I've got some hurts that I've been nurturing and petting. And I, I've got some stuff I need to repent of this morning. If you'll be honest with God, if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. You'll be honest with God. Preacher, I know there's some stuff this morning I need to repent of. I, I just need to ask God to forgive me. I need to repent. Thank you. You can put them down. 
How many of you are standing here this morning and say, Preacher, I've, a, I've bought the lie of the devil and I have misjudged myself. I, I feel so unworthy. I realize now that I'm living way beneath my privilege and I need to ask God to forgive me. I need to repent of that. Just, just raise your hand, will you? That, that's me. I, I, I need to get this right with God. Thank you. Now, how many of you are standing here today? You say, Preacher, I come in here Sunday after Sunday. And I consider this my church. And I know it's a Pentecostal church, but I, I've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I, I've, I've, never, I've never done that. I've never pursued that. Maybe I didn't think I was worthy to have that gift. But for whatever reason, I've never received, I have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Would you raise your hand? That's me. I've never received the fullness of the Spirit of God. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you all over this building, if you raised your hand for any reason, if you need to repent of sins of the flesh or you need to repent of sins of the Spirit, or you need to repent over misjudging yourself and thereby doubting God. I want you to, I want you to just come forward right now. Just get as close to the altar as you can get. Just come on. Just come on. That's, that's me all over the building. Come on. Just, just, just come up here as close as you can get. I need to repent this morning. I, I'm, I need to ask God to forgive me. If you're standing here and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to get in this line. Come on up here. Just get as close as you can. Come on in here close in these sides. So fill up towards the middle. People are still coming. Let, let, me, let me talk to you a moment about the Holy Spirit. I, I grew up under a tradition that Boy, you, 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 had to be, you had to be just about as perfect as Jesus himself before you could receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, they, they cleaned you up and dressed you up and did everything. And, and the, one of the big problems we used to have as young people in my day when we pray and seeking the Lord, we just didn't feel like we quite, we, we just weren't quite there. We weren't quite good enough for God to give us the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you parents know how to give good gifts to your children, you give it to them because you love them. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask for it? Let me tell you why he'll give you the Holy Spirit right here in this altar this morning. Because worthy is the Lamb. <laughs> He's going to give you the Holy Spirit this morning because worthy is a lamb. He's not looking at you. He's looking at the lamb. In the Old Testament, the lamb was a type of Jesus Christ. And when they brought the lamb to the priest, Cody, jump up here a minute. You jump up here. Come on up here. 
when, when they brought the lamb, pretend you got a lamb there. You, you got him on a rope and put his butt and pull him. When, when, they, when, when they brought the lamb, the priest didn't come in and say, look you over, Cody. Check you out, boy. Your shirt's a little wrinkle right there. You, yeah, the priest didn't do that. You know what the priest did? The priest took the lamb. And the priest looked over the lamb. And if Cody's lamb was without spot and wrinkle, then Cody's sins were forgiven. Thank you, Cody. And this morning, your heavenly father's not going to do this for you because he's inspected you and found out just how holy and wonderful you are. He's going to do this for you this morning because he's looked over at your lamb the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And the Lamb is worthy. The Lamb is worthy. That's why He's going to wash your sins away when you repent. That's why He's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost when you ask for it. You got to ask for it. It's a gift. But you got to accept it. And He's going to give it to you because Jesus is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Some of you are going to get healed in this altar this morning because you're going to realize that it's not about you, it's about him. And he's worthy. He's worth, the lamb is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb for you to be healed. I had a lady in the early service that came to me a couple weeks ago, distraught. I mean distraught. She caught me in the middle aisle. She said, I'm, in a, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I don't see any way out. I've had it. I'm ruined forever. I've got a $61,000 debt that they're demanding right now, and I, I don't have anything. My life is ruined. And we prayed. And she came to me last Sunday overflowing with joy. She said, I, I, you can't believe this. I, it, it, I, just out of nowhere, God intervened and they forgave a $61,000 debt. I'm debt free this morning. Boy, you say, preacher, that must have been some kind of woman. No, no, no. It's some kind of lamb. Amen. Amen. He forgave that debt not because she was worthy, but because worthy is the lamb. And some of you going to get healed this morning because you realize worthy is the lamb. Some of you going to have some financial miracles because worthy is the lamb. Some of your kids are going to come home because worthy is the lamb. Victory is in the house this morning because worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Now, Bow your heads and let's repent. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you with a repentant heart. Forgive me for my sins, sins of the flesh, sins of the spirit, sins of misjudging myself, the sin of doubting you. Forgive me, Father. Forgive the sins of my nation. Forgive us for murder. Forgive us for ungodliness. Forgive us for perversion. Forgive us, oh God, for sins too numerous for me to name. 
but you know what they are and we repent forgive us as a church for not being a louder voice in our nation for you and now I lay my sins on the altar I release them all to you and I receive your forgiveness I receive your forgiveness I receive your forgiveness and I receive your blessings I receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit this morning I receive my miracle this morning because worthy is the Lamb because worthy is the Lamb because worthy is the Lamb now I want you to start praising God praise Him praise Him